What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome to a very special edition of Fast Money. And tonight, Fast is going crypto. We're live at the St. Regis Hotel in San Francisco. The Credit Suisse Blockchain West Symposium is a gathering of a who's who and the top investors, thought leaders, and executives in the world of investing in crypto. And we've got three of the biggest names joining us tonight. Tim Draper, a billionaire VC legend and early backer of Tesla, among other companies. He'll be here shortly. Plus, the president of Coinbase, Asif Hirji, is going to make a major announcement right here on the show that will rock the crypto world forever. You won't want to miss that. And Brad Garlinghouse, the CEO of Wall Street's most beloved crypto, Ripple, will join us to talk the next big thing for that coin, XRP. I'm Melissa Lee. If you're just joining us, yes. You arrived in crypto heaven here on Fast Money tonight. With me are my crypto partners in crime, BK, the original Bitcoin baller himself, and Dan Nathan, who's a consultant for Credit Suisse. We're all Bitcoin today, but first we've got to start off with the markets. A volatile day that started in D.C. and much talked about here at the conference. And, of course, the big driver of the volatility, talk about a possible trade war. Right. And so, you know, part of this conference we were talking about is what do you use for a hedge in that? We talked about a little bit last week is that potentially cryptocurrencies can serve as that. that I mean, but the theme was really... Really, we are in a period of time with all asset classes, stocks and bonds, where volatility is going to increase. And obviously, that's what we saw today. Yeah, it's pretty interesting when you think about the last few years, though, when equity volatility was so low. We saw a lot of volatility in other risk asset classes. We saw it in currencies. We saw it in commodities, that sort of thing. Hedges got you killed. You know, it was just a drag on performance against equities. What quietly happened in 16 and 17? The hedge that is, you know, blown out and has outperformed every other hedge almost over every other period, which are really crypto assets for all intents and purposes. So, you know, that is one theme from some of the investors here as they search for new ways to kind of hedge traditional risk assets. Over time, have to, uh, crypto has been a great hedge, but over the most recent period, I mean... It's, it's not yeah. a relationship that's really been it's, seen. So, you know, it's, it's a relationship that's getting a little stronger, right? Uh -huh. So we've had, it's been effectively uncorrelated. I'm talking Bitcoin. It's been uncorrelated against every single asset mm -hmm. class. I would expect as more institutional investors come into the space and this becomes more of an asset class and more money is allocated, you will pick up a little bit of that correlation. It's just natural. What's happening now, there's too much friction. <clears throat> Very few people have a stock, bond, commodity account, and then Bitcoin and the same thing. Futures are changing that, and so over time, we'll start to see a, a moderate correlation, but I would still expect it to be an uncorrelated hedge-type asset. When investors in general think about a trade war and tariffs specifically, that's an inflationary uh, impact on the markets. Right. And so you look at crypto and you think, is this the hedge? So, so BK's been saying this for years on Fast Money, that his view is about, let's just call it Bitcoin. It's, it's not a currency. People are not transacting on it. It's a store of value, right, for all intents and purposes. It's digital gold. And so when you think about it in that context, 
index, you don't actually take the currency part out of it, right? I mean, let's call it an asset, that sort of thing. And so at the end of the day, I, I think that if we're going to ma be manufacturing inflation through some sort of trade war or some, you know, th these are the sort of risk assets that make a lot of sense. Yeah, and even last week, Paul Tudor Jones was talking about in a trade war, you get inflation, what do you want to own? Hard assets. And then one part of that was you want to own crypto assets because the opportunity cost of not owning them is so low. I mean, let's say you put 1% of your portfolio into this. If you're wrong, okay, you lost 1%, it's not life-changing. But if you're right and you hedge your portfolio correctly, you can really change what your portfolio structure looks like. So I know you guys are really busy with the conference today so far, but in terms of what you have done uh, in relationship to the volatility that we've seen in the markets, whether it be in crypto or stocks, Dan, yeah, so listen, you know, I, I actually think, let's just talk about the stock market, for instance. You know, yeah. I have a short position on in the, in the SPIs, actually, in the QQQs. I think we are in a downtrend from those late January highs. I think there's a lot of uncertainty, uh, not only just the political stuff, but I think there's some geopolitical stuff really heating up, obviously. It came out of nowhere in the last couple of weeks. So to me, I think the highs for probably the first half of the year are in in the market. And I'm not aggressively shorting the market because I think we're going to crash or anything like that. We had 11% peak to trot decline from this parabolic highs in January. I think we're going to retest that over the next couple months. And I think that's the way to be. Yeah, I mean, I think this truly is a trader's market, right? We're not trending anymore. We're in this choppiness. Volatility is picking up. So, you know, you, you don't want to get too over your skis. You, know, you want to be, you do want to buy lows, but then when, when it rips higher, you want to take those profits quickly in it's a different trading mechanism than we have been in the last three to five years. You need to be a lot more nimble here. All right. Let's go ahead and bring in Silicon Valley legend Tim Draper, the founder of the VC firm, DFJ and Draper Associates, an early investor in Tesla, Skype, one of the biggest Bitcoin investors in the in the Valley. So, Tim, welcome to Fast Money. We appreciate you Great. Your time. Great. Fun to be here. <laughs> you with your Bitcoin tie. Absolutely. <laughs> Promoting as I go. Yep. Um, you were an early investor in Bitcoin. You bought some of the Bitcoin assets that were auctioned off by the U.S. Marshals uh, with the shutdown of Silk Road, but you're also a big investor in the company. So tell me about how you take a look at the opportunities out there and how you view the ecosystem. Well, I think uh, crypto in general and Bitcoin specifically is transformative. Suddenly you have a distributed currency that is not subject to the whims of some political force or another. It can go across border. It's global. In fact, I think the word international is going to fade away and the new world glo word global is going to come forward. And, and I think we've, we've got the beginning of a major movement. And I think it's bigger than the, ice, the Iron Age and the Bronze Age and the Internet Age. This is the biggest thing that's ever happened in the, to the world today. I think we've got one of the great opportunities as investors, we've got a great opportunity to participate through Bitcoin, through other crypto, through uh, Coinbase, through other, uh, all these groups that are doing incredible things. And as a human, mm -hmm. I think we've now got a world where there's, there's going to be governance that's local, but then there's going to be this virtual governance that we're all going to be a part of. And all the various governments are going to be virtual and competing for us so that they'll have to provide good service at a, at a low cost and that's something governments haven't had to do before. So, Tim, you have some massive hits, Web 1.0, Web 2.0, okay? 
How convicted, how, how is the similarity in conviction to blockchain technology and crypto assets relative to those past two periods for you? Okay, well, so Web 1.0 and 2.0 were, well, I guess 1.0 1 transformed communications and information and saw and gaming and entertainment and all those interesting uh, industries. They were all pretty big industries and they got transformed, your industry, media, transformed in a big way by the internet. Well now there are these industries that are even bigger and they're generally highly regulated and those industries are the ones that are potentially transformed by the blockchain. Real estate, insurance, uh, banking, uh, venture capital, investment banking, and, um, and healthcare, and government itself. I think is is an industry. Uh, a lot of people think of it as like a foregone conclusion, but it's an industry, and we're going to be able to choose the government that's right for us. And I think that's a whole new way of looking at the world. The world's going to open up, and uh, and they're going to have to provide service just like every other business provides good service for their customers. So you mentioned a number of industries that could adopt the use of blockchain to sort of help them to save money, etc. In the long run, though, do these same industries, are they at risk of being displaced entirely? Long term, um, well, you know what happens? It, it's never like a one or a zero. It's right. not just like, hey, it's just going to all disappear and everything's going to go away, which is what the media was saying about itself for a while, and right. now the media is like thriving and We're things here. are going well. <laughs> um, there is always like a, a, a reboot and a refreshing that happens when there's a new technology that comes through in a wave and it starts affecting different industries. And I've seen that so many times now that I'm sort of thinking, yeah, this is what's going to happen. And I'm so sure of it that I'll make stupid and stupid commitments like, hey, when Bitcoin was 300, say in three years it's going to be 10,000. And people are looking at me like, huh. It's totally crazy. <laughs> and then it was like three years to the day. It was a weird, that was weird. That was weird. So, There's something so you, cool there. You've <laughs> seen, you, you mentioned multiple cycles, right? And multiple tech cycles. Uh, as investors, we get excited about what the promise is here. But then when I talk to developers, they're telling me, you know what? We're not in 1995 internet, we're in 1980s internet. Where do you see it? Is there a disconnect between investors and the developers? Are you talking about real estate developers? No, no, I'm talking about oh. um, blockchain developers, right? You and I get all excited about oh, all these things that can started. happen. Right. Oh, this is going to be enormous. And at Draper Associates, we're making investments in companies that that are just getting, this is just the, the early piece of the iceberg. We haven't even found the tip of the iceberg because there's so much more that can be done. Whenever there's this kind of a new technology, all this creativity is formed. If you're running one, one type of business and then you see that you could do an ICO and create a coin that then has a new marketplace, you say, oh, hey, I've got a new way of operating. And it makes both the coin and the business better because you get, both, you get that extra creative boost from all of that. And it's really um, kind of, this is the most excited I've ever been as an investor, and I was right there at the beginning of the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so make another prediction for us, Tim, because you correctly called Bitcoin 10,000 to the day, practically. What's your next call? Okay, so, so <laughs> I'm holding off on that because April 12th, we're having a big uh, party, 
and I'm going to make the announcement April there. April 12th. And you are 12th. all invited. All right. oh, you. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, uh, and I'm going to make an announcement then of what, uh, what my prediction is. Um, one of my predictions is that in five years, you're going to walk in and try to pay fiat for a, for a Starbucks coffee, and, and they are in the barrister is going to laugh at you because they're going to say, what is this? You know, are you counting out pennies or, you know, give, him, give me shells? So it's no going to more be like, no US way. dollars being They're not going to use fiat. Five years from now, none of us will because all the engineering effort, all that excitement is focused really on Bitcoin and all of the, all of the uh, cryptos around it. And I think that's what we're all going to be using and paying with. Um, and then uh, we are doing at Draper University, we're doing a crypto um, boot camp, a Bitcoin boot camp. And that is, um, that's leading up to the party. And so it's all going to kind of come to that one moment, April 12th, wow. when I give you exactly what you're asking. Wow. All right. So let me ask you this one last question. A fresh dollar to put to work, yes, fiat for now, <laughs> but a yeah. fresh dollar to work, would you put it into an existing cryptocurrency or would you put it into an ICO? Um, a fresh dollar, I, here's the funny thing, here's <laughs> how I look at a okay. fresh dollar. You talked about volatility and everybody's saying, oh, Bitcoin's very volatile. I think Bitcoin's very stable. It's all these other currencies that are very volatile and they're falling away as Bitcoin becomes the standard for all of us to use. And so I think of a dollar and I think, well, let me get rid of it. <laughs> I want to move into something that is going to be used in so the So what future. would that be? Well, it'd be Bitcoin. It would still be Bitcoin. Oh, Even absolutely. though all these other coins have come out and they've gained well, market probably cap probably back on Bitcoin. entrepreneurs that are doing something with Bitcoin mm -hmm. or or some of these other currencies. Yeah, they're all very interesting because um, I think Bitcoin will be the standard. That'll be like the Microsoft when when the internet came, be sort of the standard or the Google. And then there will be all these others that could become uh, Amazon or Apple or or uh, Facebook. But but some will also be just like. Um, small little boutiques right like they'll have like they're they'll only use a, a marketplace that's kind of a, a just for rings or just uh -huh. for uh, for people who are green right, right or people who are or women I, I keep looking for the women coin <laughs> I think that's going to be huge because it's, it, <laughs> it's this huge movement let me know, Tim. And, and the coins have this ability to right. do a movement to like monetize a movement right. it's different from a corporation it's different sure. from a nonprofit it's something new right and it's it's like the prediction of something that's going to happen that you right. want to happen it's like kickstarter for societal change huh. interesting yeah. tim great to speak with you thanks great. for your time i'll Fun speak to you to on the stage at the conference okay, good. tim draper <laughs> draper associates what do you i mean is bitcoin going to be the standard do you think i think bitcoin is yeah. going to be going to be the standard digital currency out there and exactly we'll have an ecosystem that's built around it
right, coming up, it's a moment we've all been waiting for. Coinbase President Asif Kirji will be here to make a big announcement on this show. It will have a major impact on how you trade crypto. You won't want to miss it. Plus, the Wall Street's love for Ripple make it the most valuable cryptocurrency in the world. Brad Garlinghouse, the CEO of Ripple, will be here later this hour. You're watching a very special edition of Fast Money Live from the Credit Suisse Blockchain West Symposium at the St. Regis Hotel in San Francisco. Do not go away. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to a very special edition of Fast Money Live at the Credit Suisse Blockchain West Symposium in San Francisco, where some of the biggest names in crypto are gathered. Now, anybody who buys crypto knows what this app on my phone is. Take a look at this. You know it. Coinbase. As the crypto craze heated up, millions of crypto investors opened their own accounts on the exchange. Coinbase even exceeding the number of brokerage accounts of Charles Schwab. Joining me now is the president and COO of Coinbase, Asif Hirji. And Asif has got a big announcement to make in just a few minutes, but we want to start off with the state of the business at Coinbase. The fourth quarter of last year in particular, the month of December, was a blockbuster one. What has happened since, I mean, the last time we talked, the price of Bitcoin was much higher, cryptocurrencies right. in general are much higher, yep. and now there's been a lot of volatility. What have, what have people been doing? So our, our trading volumes, if you want to have a view of what they are, it's just they're they're basically related to where where the where the asset price is and what overall volatility is. So the higher the asset price and the higher volatility, you'd expect more trading behavior. This is the same as in equities. When when we ran a trade, it was the same way. And so given that volatility is slightly down, given that the asset prices are down, our volumes are, are not where they were in December. They're still very healthy, but they're not they're not where they were in December. Right. Um, with all that uh, growth that you saw in, in that last quarter of the year, in the last month of the year, there were a lot of customer complaints. And, and yes. I want to point out that a lot of the exchanges across the board experiences as well as the trading volumes right. ballooned. Uh, you guys were just not equipped to handle this all. Sure. What is the state now? Has the consumer and customer experience improved in your view? Yeah. No, that's a great question. So let's put it in perspective. In 2017, the trade volumes increased about 30 times, 30x. It's pretty tough to grow 30x without having some bumps in the road. And we had, we had our fair share of bumps. The platform grew more than 40x. Our actual support capability grew 600x. That's still not enough. We still had a lot of customers that didn't get the service they needed. Um, you know, you you might have seen that we hired Tina Batnagar. I hired her from Twitter. She's an amazing hire. She's done she's done a fantastic job. We're we're in fact hiring 500 additional reps this quarter, of which the first 90 started yesterday. Um, it takes us time to hire reps. We're dealing with people's money, right? So from the time we find somebody to the time we put them through the security checks and everything else, it does take us some time. But we are, we are, you know, the queues are down, service levels are back where we need them to be, and and we, you know, if, as long as we don't have some massive spike like December, we should be fine. And by the by the end of this quarter, we'll be we'll be in great shape. So there's a lot of talk about this conference that this is the asset class for millennials. From your user base, do you see that? Can you can you back it up with any kind of data that you have more millennial users that take with maybe an Ameritrade? Well, I think certainly the early adopters were all millennials, and many many of them were that. I think the the asset class has matured, and like any asset class that matures, you now see the people who have the money, which tend to be the the more the the, the more you know 50ish, 55ish, and those people are coming on board, and they're they're trading now as well. So so we have a 
pretty diverse range of, of traders on our, on our system. And in fact, one of the announcements we're making today is, is, to, is to help accelerate the maturation of the asset class. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But in terms of, of trying to figure out where the next leg of growth is going to come from, is it by adding new coins to the platform to increase volumes? I mean, right. where are you seeing it come from? So we, get, so we get this question all the time of why are you not adding more coins? Yeah. And so let me, let me address that. You know, we have said publicly, we are committed to adding more coins to the platform, and we will. Having said that, we have, we have published a digital asset framework that lays out how we evaluate coins to, you know, there's some rubbish out there that we need to avoid. But more fundamentally than that, there has been a lot of discomfort by the SEC around a lot of these ICO-based tokens. And it would have frankly been irresponsible for us to have added a lot of these assets in the face of that uncertainty. We, we are. We are trying to legitimize this asset class. We're not going to be the ones that are operating in the black. There's plenty of there's plenty of exchanges that want to do that. That's not us. We're the leader in the space. We take it very seriously. So as there is more regulatory certainty, we will add more assets. It's interesting that you mentioned ICOs because even with XRP, which is the, the coin of Ripple, I mean, in the past couple of days, we saw it spike because we simply advertised the fact that you and the Ripple CEO were going to appear on Fast Money. You weren't going to appear together. Right. So obviously, these are separate interviews, but there rumors going around yep. that XRP would be added and that would be the big announcement to be made today, which it is not. That's not the announcement. But is it, is it concerning to you that there is maybe not enough liquidity out there where people can push around the price so much? Yeah. So, no, you're absolutely right. So we, we look at that very specifically. When we're, when we're look, thinking about listing a token, we look very hard at how open is it to market manipulation. And frankly, all, this, all the noise that's out there about whatever token, pick your favorite, you know, the more it drives volatility and, and, and looks like it's being manipulative, the less likely it is we're going to list it anytime soon because that's not healthy for the ecosystem. So, so in fact, I, I, I met Brad coming in. He's about to come on the show, and I was joking with him. Should we take a picture of ourselves and post it on Twitter? <laughs> but, you will not but believe no, what that, that would exactly, cause if you did exactly, that. <laughs> exactly. But no, that, that's uh, no. But let me ask you this. You know, one of the things that I think, you know, the adoption of your platform is, you know, the simplicity has really helped that for all intents and purposes. There's not this big. Do you guys think about people tuning into the show? They want to hear what we have to say about relative valuation or these metrics. Do you think about an educational process for the coins that you do have? Have listed and adding some analytics to the platform in a pretty simple uh, fashion so people can kind of do a little more than just check the message boards about what they're right. going to buy and sell. So, one of, so that's, a, that's a great question, right? So in equities, you'd have these, these like tear sheets on the, on the assets. You'd have all this data you could go look at. That needs to be created, right? That needs to be created. And I would say that you also need easier vehicles to actually get exposure. And that's, that's, that, that needs to be created as well, right? I think fundamentally, though, our positioning is we are the safest and most trusted. And everything we do has to, has to, has to follow those two rules. The most trusted is about things like the market manipulation and is there the right data. The safest is this is not like equities, right? I ran a big equity trader. It, that's frankly just record keeping. This is not record keeping. Here we're dealing with digital bearer bonds, right? And so if you don't know what you're doing, bad things are going to happen on the custody side. So, so we look at that very hard. We think that as this asset class matures, all those things you would expect, that market data and everything else is going to show up. Asif, you're going to stick around because you've got a major announcement uh, that you're going to make right here on this show in Absolutely. regards to Coinbase app. Um, Twitter is losing it is its mind in anticipation <laughs> of what that announcement is. We'll tell you in just a moment. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money. We're live at the Credit Suisse Blockchain West Symposium in San Francisco. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. Had you bought $1,000 worth of Bitcoin three years ago, you'd be sitting on $40,000. 
But had you bought a thousand bucks worth of Ripple on the same day, you'd have 90,000. And after you hear what the CEO has to say, you'll understand why. When Fast Goes Crypto returns. Welcome back to our very special Fast Goes West Crypto Edition. We are live at the Credit Suisse Blockchain West Symposium here at the St. Regis Hotel in San Francisco. And we are back with the Coinbase president and COO, Asif Hirji. And we hope you're pumped because just as we promised, all of you tuning in right now are going to be the first to hear about the next big thing for Coinbase. So why don't you tell us all about it? Thank you. Thank you for inviting us here and letting us do this. So, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about the maturation of the asset class and what needs to happen. In crypto right now, it's mostly active traders, right? We're getting some institutional demand, but we haven't really done much for the individual investor. And so I'm delighted to say that today, Coinbase is announcing the launch of the Coinbase Index Fund. It's basically a very simple to use, easy way to get exposure to the crypto assets that we offer on our exchange. It's a market uh, cap weighted index fund. It's underpinned by the Coinbase Index, which is effectively the benchmark data for, for crypto. Um, which we're also announcing today. And both of those will be available very, very shortly. And people will be able to sign up, they'll be able to invest, and, and we'll be able to give them exposure. Now, unfortunately, day one, it'll only be available to accredited investors. Again, back to the regulatory uncertainty, those are the, those are the investors who are allowed to do it now. Over time, we would hope very much to expand it to all investors, right? And we're working with the regulators on what, what it's going to take to make that happen. What are the, what are the mechanics of this? Um, Will you actually hold the actual cryptocurrencies that are on the exchange in order to reflect what's in the fund? Yes. Are you so buying? Absolutely. So there's there's a separate legal entity which is completely separate from Coinbase to protect the investors. Coinbase Asset Management. That is the entity that you will be a customer of. You will it will uh, it will buy the assets in the fund. It will equal it'll market weight those assets. It'll rebalance those assets as as the index as the index goes up and down. And you'll be able to just like any other fund, you'll be able to invest or redeem over time. So it's a really interesting concept. Obviously, a lot of people get nervous about the whole idea of a cryptocurrency. I think at a, a conference like this, you hear digital assets and and you know right. uh, crypto assets that sort of thing. So you actually are creating an asset class for all intents and purposes. And you see this as 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 something that will expand uh, users or for all intents and purposes? Yeah, I, yeah, I would argue that crypto is an asset class. Yeah. It, and so it's on an arc, just like every other asset class of maturation, right? It went from the active traders to now institutions are trading it to then the individual investors are going to trade it. Individual investors, they tend to trade in funds and they trend, tend to trade in index funds, right? Passive investing. That's why we've created the index and we've created the index fund to enable that. Coinbase effectively picking winners and losers because you also decide what goes onto the Coinbase platform, which right. will then go into that fund. The fund. Yeah, no, there, there is some argument to that. So I would go back to we are committed to adding more assets to the exchange. If we add an asset to the exchange, it'll show up in the fund. It'll be market, market cap weighted. We have a framework for how that works, and we look very hard at that, and that's, that's what's going to drive what, what shows up on the exchange and therefore in the index and in the fund. So back a little bit to the mechanics of it. So this is going to be open to accredited investors. Yes. Is there a holding period that you have to be in? Is there a one-year lockup or anything no. like that? No, and, this and is, we're trying to make this super simple. Okay. So there's other vehicles out there. Like today, if you want access to a fund, you're typically buying a hedge fund, you're paying performance fees, you're, you've got lockups. We're not doing any of that. <laughs> this, is a, this, is a, this is a vehicle 
to be as simple as possible, to be as friendly as possible. It gives you, you easy in, easy out, low fee, and, and it's completely transparent and based on that index. It's, it's just like an ETF in, in, in many ways, but it's not, right? So this is, this is a crypto fund. Yeah. I'm sure if you take a look at the competition, is, your, is one competitor the Grayscale Bitcoin Investment Trust? Granted, that's only Bitcoin. Right. But this is, it, it's sort of, it feels like the same product for all well, intents and purposes. I think, that's a good question. I think that the investors are not going to want to pick specific winners or losers. I don't know that they want to do that. Like the, the investors, when they invest in I'm sorry, Ashley, we've got to interrupt you. We've got some breaking news. Uh, we're hearing word right now that Gary Cohn has resigned. Meg Terrell's got more on this story. Meg. That's right, Melissa. We are learning Gary Cohn, um, President Trump's top economic advisor, uh, plans to resign. Uh, this is coming from the New York Times, citing White House officials. Uh, the officials, according to this story, saying there's no single factor behind his departure. Uh, but his decision to leave, of course, comes after the struggle uh, over the uh, the plans to impose tariffs on steel and aluminum, guys. So we are learning uh, Gary Cohn uh, plans to resign. That's from the New York Times. We'll bring you more headlines and more details as we get them out. Back to you. All right. Thank you very much, Meg Terrell. Um, I would imagine that the markets would be very volatile. would probably trade lower yeah. on this news. Yeah. I mean, Gary Cohn was as looked at as the last person here that was uh, in the way of trade of trade tariffs, right? And so maybe, you know, the last adult in the room in some cases, if you if you believe that. I mean, I happen to believe that tariffs are horrible. So, you know, you want to have somebody like Gary Cohn in there. This is not going to be good for the market. When we were hearing that Gary Cohn was going to be added to the administration, the markets loved it. Yeah, they loved it because they thought it's a continuation of a lot of easy money policies right. that had been in place for much of the bull market. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, he was one of maybe the, the uh, captain of the Committee to Save America, that sort of thing. You know, this is not great for financial markets, obviously, for risk assets, that sort of, because we saw what happened, how that tariff announcement came about. Um, you know, and, and don't forget, guys, back in August, you remember after Charlottesville, remember how many corporations came out and denounced the president's language and his stance there? So, you know, Gary Cohn was front and center as opposing the president's view. This is something that I think corporations are going to have to take a stand on, especially this tariff thing. We've seen a lot of companies come out and talk about. So he was a stabilizing force, you know, against something that was an immovable object for all intents and purposes. Right. We're showing you the uh, SPY ETF because the futures are closed right now, but right now they are trading lower. You had mentioned he was seen as the last barrier between the uh, administration and, and actual enactment of, of trade tariffs. Right. Let's connect the dots then. Trade tariffs are inflationary. How do you think the market reacts tomorrow? What trades are you looking at? Well, I, I mean, listen, I think the entire market is going to be affected by this because now you're going to have earnings compression. So your P.E. ratio is going to have to be re-rated. So, so interest rates go up. Interest rates go up. Dollar goes up. Dollar probably goes up. Stocks go down. That's how, that's how I look. Well, I think, listen, over the last week, we've heard a lot of very prominent economists come out and say how stupid this is. When you think about how many jobs is trying to buffet here in America versus how many jobs are going to be impacted by people who, uh, by companies that actually consume these materials that are going to have the tariffs on them. So to me, I just think it's just packing on to the uncertainty that we've had since late January. The way the markets have reacted over the last five weeks is they do not like this volatility in the White House. All right. Uh, we're still, uh, Asif, here she is still here. One last question to you. Of course. Um, when 
does this product launch? When, it launches when very it? soon. It's very gonna, soon. Yeah, so you, you'll be able to get to the website today. You'll be able to sign up for it. It'll be available very, very soon. Okay. Asif, thanks a lot for your time. Thank you for having me here. Asif Pierji of Coinbase. And in case you're just tuning in, uh, we just got news that Gary Cohn has resigned. It's a story that we'll continue to track. We'll continue to track the market reaction. Meantime, still ahead, the ripple effect. Ripple soaring 400% over the last year, captivating the attention of the crypto universe. CEO Brad Garlinghouse will be here to tell us what the next big thing for the coin is. You won't want to miss it. Welcome back to Fast Money. If you're just joining us, we've got breaking news out of Washington, D.C., a story that will impact the markets. Gary Cohn has resigned. Hampton Pearson's got a statement from the White House. Hamp. Uh, we have, in fact, three statements. First, from President Trump, quoting now, Gary has been my chief economic advisor, did a superb job in driving our agenda, helping to deliver historic tax cuts and reforms and unleashing the American economy. Once again, he is a rare talent, and I thank him for his dedicated service to the American people. From White House Chief of Staff John Kelly, Gary has served his country with great distinction, dedicating his skill and leadership to grow the U.S. economy and pass historic tax reform. I will miss having him as a partner in the White House, but he departs having made a real impact on the lives of the American people. And from Gary Cohn himself, it has been an honor to serve my country and enact pro-growth economic policies to benefit the American people, in particular the passage of historic tax reform. I am grateful to the president for giving me this opportunity and wish him and the administration great success in the future. All past tense. Uh, Gary Cohn has resigned as National Economic Director. Uh, of note, he was not at the news conference today uh, with the president and the visiting dignitary. Gary Cohn out as National Economic Director. Back to you. All right, Hampton Pearson out of Washington for us. Thank you, Hampton. For more on this, let's bring in Eamon Javers. And the resignation, Eamon, comes uh, just as we seem to be on the precipice of a brewing trade war. Yeah, that's right. And there were a couple of tales, as Hampton says today, that this was likely to happen. One was that Gary Cohn, who had been a relatively uh, religious attendee of the news conferences, did not show up. There was an, actually an empty chair right in front of where I was sitting uh, for someone on the White House staff. We're not clear if it was Gary or not, uh, but he's usually in the room for those things. He was not. I was told repeatedly today by White House officials that if Gary resigned, it's not going to be because of tariffs. It's going to be because of an accumulation of things. That is, uh, that Gary, they suggested to me, is too mature to simply not get his way on tariffs and resign uh, on principle on that issue alone, that it would be because of a number of things. So White House officials were not pushing back throughout the day today on the idea that Gary Cohn uh, might, re might resign from his position here. Also, interestingly, uh, Gary told his interns on his staff as recently as yesterday to make sure that they got the full experience out of being at the White House and sounded uh, sort of wistful and, wistful and, and hoping to uh, make sure that his interns got the most out of their experience. Uh, it sounded to people who heard that like uh, he was considering leaving as well. So uh, this is not necessarily a surprise. Cohn has been talked about as somebody who might resign from this White House ever since the Charlottesville incident over the summer in which he was pressured by his family uh, to consider resignation given uh, the president's equivocation on, on those racial incidents in Charlottesville, Virginia last year. Uh, it didn't happen then. It does happen now. 
Uh, and now it leaves the sort of nationalist economic contingent inside the White House. Peter Navarro, Wilbur Ross, who was at the press availability today, uh, in the ascendancy within the uh, Trump orbit. Uh, that Gary Cohn had been said to have been working on an, uh, an event for Thursday in which he would bring a number of CEOs who stood to benefit from, uh, or who, who stood to lose, rather, from tariffs uh, into the White House to make their argument to the president. That, uh, it would seem, will not happen now. Uh, and Peter Navarro and Wilbur Ross, who have been bringing in CEOs who will benefit from those tariffs, uh, will be in the ascendancy, Melissa. All right, Eamon, thanks so much. Eamon Javers joining us on the phone. Um, as Eamon had mentioned, according to his sources, it wasn't simply because of the tariff issue that Gary Cohn resigned. But regardless of, of why he resigned or the reasons behind it, Wall Street just lost their top deputy in the White House. And as you had pointed out, probably one of the last barriers standing in the way of the Trump administration and tariffs in terms of somebody objecting to them in the White House, he's gone now. Right. What does this mean for the markets? Again, I don't think this is very good for the markets because the market's going to say, okay, what else is going to go on? Are we going to have more debt piled on now? All the other nationalist agendas that are out there that potentially could be harmful to the market, I think the market's going to shoot first and ask questions later. So this, again, we're in this period of extreme political volatility that are affecting asset prices, and the market's not reacting well. Yeah, we're showing you the ETFs right now because the futures are closed, but right now it looks like the Dow uh, ETF would be down by more than a percent, the S&P as well as the NASDAQ down about 1% apiece. It's interesting to think about before January how few 1% days that we had. Two days ago, or excuse me, on Monday, yesterday, we had this rip in the market back when it looked like maybe the tariff, uh, the trade war wasn't as likely. So, you know, this sort of back and forth is not particularly great, especially when you think about, you know, what led the market back from February 9th. It was a concentration of the prior leaders, but there's a lot of stuff that haven't gotten back on their horses. We are still in a downtrend, and I think it is a market now where you actually want to kind of sell rips for all intents and purposes. And reevaluate what 2018 from a return environment is going to look like given all the uncertainty politically as we head into the midterms just you know think about that over the course of the spring and summer uh, we should mention that the dollar is showing a little bit of weakness on this news we want to bring in Larry Kudlow now who joins us on the fast line Larry what does this mean in terms of trade well it's not great I can say that I mean in recent days I've talked to Gary I personally urged him to stay he didn't commit, but and I've done it on the air. You've heard me do it. I think he did a great job. I think he has a good staff. I think he's been a powerful force. So I'm quite sorry that this is true. I mean, I'm reading the New York Times website, and the president has issued a statement. So I guess we know it's true. Um, you know, your, uh, some of your colleagues are saying about the trade story. You're asking. I, I think it's a turn for the worse, okay? You know, the meeting... He was trying to set up a very, very good, it was a great idea um, to have the manufacturers who use steel come in and talk to the president and give him the other side of the story. But I was told today, and I reported this on Closing Bell, uh, that that meeting was not on the calendar and was never put on the calendar. Now, what role that might play in, in Gary's uh, decision, I, I cannot say. But I, I think he did a great job. I'm really sorry he's leaving. And we'll see who the president appoints. I mean, look, the president tends to have balance where there are these uh, disagreements. He tends to have balance. And the National Economic Council has a very broad reach, you know, in terms of policy everywhere, infrastructure, for example, taxes, regulations, energy, and so forth, um, including health care. So I, I, don't, I wouldn't necessarily say that the cause 
for freer trade, freer, mind you, uh, is over. Um, but we'll see. We'll see who was appointed. And someone can take over. He's got very good people uh, around him. Um, so we'll see. I, I, I don't know. I personally regret this very much. Larry, do you think that he, the president would actually appoint another top economic advisor who would advise him against tariffs at this point? I mean, when you say that that the case for freer trade is not over by any means because of, of Gary Cohn's resignation, who carries the torch for freer trade at this point? Well, you're left uh, basically with um, Steven Mnuchin, um, and you're also left with Kevin Hassett from the CEA. And you're also left with a number of people on the National Economic Council uh, who very much supported Gary's effort to tamp this down. I mean, look, uh, Melissa, I, my view has been blanket tariffs are very bad. That's what I oppose. Um, however, where there's uh, unfair trading practices, and you don't have to look far in the map, it's China. So to me, targeted tariffs that might lead to negotiations. And I would have gone after China. I wouldn't have gone after Canada. I think that, was a, that is still an error. It's going to happen, I guess. I wouldn't go after the EU. I wouldn't let NAFTA hang in the balance. If, Ch if China is the problem, and they certainly are in intellectual property rights, that's for sure, then go after them. Targeted tariffs. But don't have a blanket tariff. Now, there are other people in the White House who share this view, that trade actions would be okay as long as they're targeted and presumably temporary in, in lieu of negotiations. So I, there are plenty of people around who hold that view. There's no purism here. Um, but, again, I come back to this. I think Cohn did a good job, served the country well, and, um, you know, we're going to miss him. We're going to miss him. But, look, on the other hand, the president said this at his news conference today with the Swedish premier. Um, lots of people come to the White House. Um, lots of people would like these jobs. And life will go on. Life go on. And, you know, President cut taxes. He rolled back regulations. He's promoting energy. The economy's doing very well. So I just don't want to push the panic button. And I might also add, if anyone talks about it, um, the economic fundamentals, particularly profits from the bottom up, are looking better and better. So I, I just, right. just don't panic. Don't panic over this. Well, I mean, already <laughs> the markets are showing a little bit of panic. I mean, we are looking at the Dow ETF, the S&P ETF, um, down by about a percent in the after-hours trade. You mentioned Mnuchin and Hassett as sort of being the standard bearers for freer trade. The markets are interpreting this as if freer trade is really in jeopardy. Is that the right takeaway? What's your, what's your take on, on how the market is reacting? Don't jump to hasty conclusions. That's the best advice I can sincerely give you. Don't jump to hasty conclusions, okay? I've seen this before. Uh, even when I worked in there with Reagan years ago, we had staff changes at the highest levels. Life went on. Uh, so I really would suggest to investors, wait and see. Don't make any hasty judgments right now. And by the by, the economy is in very good shape. So, um, gee whiz, hold on. Hang on for a little bit. Let's see what happens. Let's see what the president says more. Let's see who's the candidate right. for this position and other positions. You know, just don't, just don't tear the wall down. Don't jump off the cliff, please. No one jump off the cliff, Melissa. Uh, you know, the very calm words is the markets are down by about one and a half percent at this time. Larry, if the president called and he asked you, would you serve? Uh, I don't have any comment on that. I'm not even thinking about that, right? All right, Larry. Th
Thank you very much I've, uh, for phoning I've in. Been, I've been Tom's biggest supporter. Yeah, anyway, thank you, Melissa. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thanks, Larry. Larry Codlow. Um, I... What's your, so we're so seeing the, the losses steepen at this point. Right, but let's take the opposite side. Sure. Let's, let's take Larry's advice and not panic and say, this is all part of a bigger negotiating tactic, and at the end of this, we come out with a freer system, because that is the, the White House position, that they're going to come out, they're going to impose these blanket tariffs, and other people are going to react in a positive way for the U.S. That is the, po- that is the, the, the positive spin that you could put on. Do you buy that spin? No, not one bit, but I want to I wanna try to... I I want to present both sides, right? I'm a trader. So at some point, this negativity does turn into something I want to buy. That's not today, just to be very clear. Uh, but that you're going to start to look at and say, okay, maybe it's not as bad as we think. Not today, though. And there just is no reason to panic. But at the end of the day, when you think about it, there's no one opposing some of these protectionist policies. When you think about the market, uh, Larry mentioned on numerous occasions how well the economy is doing, how well companies' profits are doing. These are the sort of things that will turn a cycle if it goes on too long. So this is a really important input. No reason to panic right now in the aftermarket. All right, let's bring in uh, John Harwood for more on this. John, what's your take on uh, the developments here? Well, Melissa, I think Larry's right to say uh, nobody should jump to too many hasty conclusions about what it means. However, uh, I think it is safe to say we are not headed for a freer trading system. Uh, Certainly, the fact that Gary Cohn is leaving now is a strong indication that the president will, in fact, follow through on the tariffs he's announced. There are outstanding questions, though. There's a much bigger case, a much more economically important case, involving China and intellectual property that the administration has to rule on later this year. If Gary's departure uh, proves a sign of where that is headed, along with the tariffs, then we're headed for a very rough ride, because a strong push against China on intellectual property in the economic report of the president, the administration claimed damages of hundreds of billions of dollars from Chinese practices. If they act commensurate with that, we're going to get a big response from China and markets are not going to be happy at all. It'll make what their reaction is right now look like a tea party. Um, Larry had mentioned, John, uh, that Kevin Hassett, that Steven Mnuchin, uh, that they are going to be the new champions of freer trade, and we should note that that is a relative freer trade, not free trade. Um, Do you agree? Do they have strong enough voices at this point? I agree that those are the voices. I don't know how strong those voices are. Uh, I I would think that Mnuchin is the one who has the shot at being uh, most influential. Uh, But look, this is where Donald Trump is really different, a a different kind of Republican president. The Republican Party, uh, as it's evolved over the last generation or so, has increasingly relied on working-class voters, blue-collar voters, to go with the some of the traditional pro-business Republicans. Past Republican presidents have pretty much always sided with the pro-business wing of the party. Donald Trump is different. He feels that his base is with those blue-collar voters. He did side with the pro-business wing on tax policy, and he may return to that on other issues. He's unpredictable. But the fact that he is going forward now is a sign of how different this situation is and uh, how markets need to prepare themselves for the possibility of further disappointment. Although, again, as Larry said, uh, you can't draw uh, universal conclusions from one departure. 
Another way uh, President Trump is different, though, John, is that he calls himself the stock market president. Essentially, when he sees the market sell off, I mean, you got to wonder if that causes him to rethink the stance, particularly when we're taking a look at more than 1% losses here in the after sessions on the back of just Cohn resigning. That's right. Well, look, I, I don't think it will uh, change where he's headed on these particular tariffs that he's announcing, but I do think it will inform his pick of a successor to Gary Cohn, and that's that's where Larry was right. Uh, if the president sees that uh, market reaction is so sharply negative, and if it's sustained tomorrow and after that, uh, then you're going to see the president, because of his regard uh, for the stock market as an indicator of how he's doing, you're going to see him take that into account and who he picks. Gary Cohn's not the only uh, uh, markets-oriented economic advisor that he could get, although uh, one of the things that we know is that as the Trump presidency has encountered more and more turbulence and difficulty and Mueller probe, uh, it is increasingly hard for the president to get top quality people in the administration. But I suspect he will be able to get somebody who uh, will pick up that torch and he will look for somebody to do that if he thinks the markets are going to punish him badly. We were just talking to Eamon earlier on the back of this news, John, and Eamon, uh, according to his sources, uh, he believes that Gary Cohn resigned for a myriad of reasons, not just because of this possible uh, impending trade war. What's your take or what are your sources telling you about the stability within the White House, particularly when it comes to Steven Mnuchin and Kevin Hassett? Well, I, I agree. Gary Cohn, there are plenty of reasons for people to leave the Trump White House. It's dysfunctional. It's in chaos. We've got a lot of speculation about H.R. McMaster, the national security advisor. Uh, so, uh, yes, uh, a lot of factors go into this decision, plus the fact that it's simply grueling to be in a White House job. And uh, Gary Cohn's been there for 14 months. But uh, I, I think the stakes were raised on this decision. And uh, I think it certainly was a factor. All right. John, thanks so much for phoning in. We appreciate your analysis on this breaking news. John Harwood phoning in. Uh, if you are just tuning in to Fast Money, uh, here's the news. Gary Cohn has resigned from his position at the White House. We are taking a look um, at right now at the ETFs that track the markets. The futures market opens at 6 p.m. But in terms of the ETFs, the Spiders, the Dow, the QQQs, indicating a big drop for the markets in tomorrow's session. More than 1% declines right now. We'll have much more on this straight ahead. back. It is the story of the after-hour session. It will be the story of the day tomorrow. Gary Cohn has resigned. The market's right now trading lower. Let's get to Eamon Javers. Eamon. Yeah, Melissa, that's right. The story at some point during the course of the day tomorrow is going to shift to who replaces Gary Cohn. Remember, the president just today said everybody wants to work at the White House. They all want to get a piece of the Oval Office. They all want to get a piece of the West Wing. The question for the Trump administration is going to be what type of person do they pick from among uh, the vast number the president suggested he had uh, ready to apply for senior White House positions? Will it be somebody who's more in the global free trade camp or will it be somebody who's more in the protectionist camp? That seems to be in the ascendancy right now inside the Trump White House. Melissa, that's going to be a big question for tomorrow and overnight tonight. 
All right. Thank you very much, Eamon Javers from D.C. Yeah. Uh, if it is somebody in the mold of Gary Cohn, the market should stabilize, one I think would the think. market should stabilize, if that is the case. And again, that's the uncertainty. But you want somebody in there that is at least going to have a different view than protectionist. Because if you go back to the Civil War, protectionism is bad. What do you look at tomorrow, first thing? Uh, listen, I think if you thought things get really overly done, on, you know, you, you could probably look to add to things that you really like. But at the end of the day, again, like I said about 10 minutes ago, I think this is a sort of market. We're in a downtrend. I think you kind of look to take profits on rallies. All right. I'm Melissa Lee, and you want to tune in tomorrow for much more on this breaking news story. Again, take a look at the ETFs. They're all indicated for a sharply lower open tomorrow. Mad Money is right. It's coming up next. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old school grit, new world ideas. Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC.